If you don't know, my name is Christopher Mack. I'm one of the pastors here at Vox Vignette uh, and wanted to introduce to you Nick Sadrozny, who is going to be sharing for the very first time with us a homily. So we can get some excitement about that, right? Nick's wife, Ali, was on navigation team for our church at a really challenging time. And right as she was... Uh, rotating off, uh, and their family had served intensely on behalf of Vox, we realized we needed a treasurer as well, and uh, Nick graciously was willing to step up on behalf of our community to help fill in that important role for navigation team. But I am really enjoyed working with him uh, over the now almost year that you've been treasurer, uh, and you know, it's, it's kind of like the 90s. He's like, we've got a big surplus. It's all going great. Uh, and Hopefully that's not foreboding about what's to come, but um, <laughs> we're really grateful to have you share with us. Part of our value at Vox uh, around uh, preaching time is that we don't want to hear from just one perspective and share the blind spots of the one or two people, and so we try to have different voices representing different parts of our community uh, share, and so Nick, we are grateful that you have said yes to sharing with us today. All right. Good morning, my Vox family. All right. I hope we all had a restful weekend last weekend with the Sunday off and the long holiday weekend. Um, Christopher stole a little bit of my traditional introduction of, yeah, this is my first sermon. So um, I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments of you just completely blank out on what a word means. So as soon as I kind of accepted the idea of like, sure, I'll do that, I had a question. And that question is, what's a sermon? What, what is going on every Sunday? And I have kind of forgotten everything I know about what we do here. And hey, being that Enneagram 5 with a four wing, I figure perfect time to spiral and just go on an existential crisis. Like, what's a sermon? Who is Jesus? What is scripture? Who am I? So, we're going to go on a bit of a journey today. I'm going to take you there. Um, yeah, had a lot of questions. Christopher had a lot of great support for me too. Um, you know, the homily is an opportunity for just people to share their voices and go through the scripture and, hey, here's what I see. And, um, you know, I learned about the lectionary. Uh, this is something that I hadn't grown up with, and I went and did a little research on it, as a five does. And I learned that the the lectionary, the revised common lectionary that we use, goes all the way back to 1994. So, ancient tradition. It was preceded by the common lectionary, which, to be fair, was assembled in 1983. So, just... Just like me, I'm a 1983 baby, uh, so nice coincidence. Um, we're going to, you know, I, I just can't shake the picture now, though, of the lectionary having had, like, an awkward teenage phase in the 90s, like, you know, youth group and summer camps and contemporary Christian music. Like, do we all remember our favorite bands, uh, Christian music bands from the 90s? Um and this was part of the journey that I kind of went on through, just reflecting on, I've been a Christian for 30 years now, three decades, like, that's a long time. And that covers kind of a lot of seasons. And I think there were just like really interesting 
pieces of those seasons. So I thought today we would go through the the passage and I would kind of do sort of like a, a lectio where we would just read through it three times. Well, I'll read through it. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to make you work. Um, and kind of reflect on the passage. And I'm just going to bring a little bit of a, of a, you know, what prompts in me kind of through some of the seasons of life that I went through. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's nice that the lectionary gives you my scriptures because one of those questions is, what am I going to talk about? But here we go. We've got a nice scripture to jump into. And uh, let's do that together. So, uh, we're going to start in Matthew. It says, Jesus said to the crowd, to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. And I mean, my question going into this scripture is like, who is Jesus? And I think that's what this scripture is about. And I, I reflect on this kind of my putting on my Sunday school teenager hat and man, I, I have heard more than one sermon of like, wow, Jesus is snarky. Jesus is like funny. Jesus is this like relatable, personable uh, dude. And I definitely got very serious snarky vibes when I was starting to read this passage. Like y'all are like children. Really, Jesus? All right, cool. Wow. All right, well, let's keep going. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And all right, yeah, I've got snarky in my head. And imagine being in that crowd, like, really, Jesus? We are right here. Who are we thinking about? Like, okay, great. So I don't know how this would have been received by, you know, the the early first centuries, like audience for that particular sermon or this particular scripture, but maybe this is because I live in an era of social media clapbacks, but uh, it definitely feels like kind of a sassy clapback to me. Um, so, I, I mean, I think in all seriousness, the passage is kind of navigating this question of like, who is Jesus? Also from a lens of like, how was he received by the people of his time? And um, I think as he's preaching, Jesus is showing a little bit of himself, but also really showing who the crowd thinks he is or kind of shining a light on their expectations and how their expectations are preventing them from seeing who Jesus is. So he's drawing this contrast between two different kinds of messianic figures. Like you have John the Baptist living in the wilderness, preaching and living this ascetic lifestyle and pure and rejecting worldliness and corruption. And apparently uh, they didn't like that. So, well, then you have Jesus on the other hand, kind of much more normal lifestyle here. Like he's eating, he's drinking, he has friends. I mean, that means there's people around him, which presumably means better hygiene is involved. But I mean, they didn't like that either. And so it kind of comes off in the first read of like, oh, wow, like, the people, I mean, they they missed it. Like they had this opportunity to see who Jesus is and he's right there and he's telling them, I'm right here. And I mean, you've got me and you don't like me. You had John, that's also a legitimate choice. You didn't like John. Like, what do you want? So I take away and, and then there's just kind of reading in this first time through of like, 
this generation has seen and they've, they've rejected Jesus. And I guess it kind of makes sense to hear a bit of snarky Jesus, right? Like, I, I feel kind of snarky towards that too. And I think, I, I think I heard a lot of sermons in my early years of Christianity of, you know, who Jesus is. I think a lot of those sermons, I mean, I don't know, we're talking a teenager in high school youth group. There's a lot of telling us telling me who Jesus is. You've got all the Sunday school answers like Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the son of God, is the savior. He's the one who was prophesied. He's the atonement for our sins. So then also you have a lot of these other sermons of, yeah, Jesus is funny. He's angry. He's snarky. He's relatable. Like he's definitely this super cool relational thing. And you should very much be interested in Christianity as a teenager in the nineties. Like, it's fine. So, I mean, who is Jesus to that generation? They don't seem to know, or maybe that's the story we're getting here. And I think a large part of the message I was hearing in those early days of my practice was like, aren't we lucky? Like, we do know, like, spoiler alert, Jesus is the son of God, even if it's not clear to those around him. Like, Aren't we lucky that we have the Bible? Aren't we lucky that we can see what they cannot? So, I don't know. I even remember as a nerdy teenage Christian thinking, man, I wish I lived in that era. And if I had the opportunity to be near Jesus and actually see him and be that that person who recognized him for who he was back then. Um, so, anyway, I mean, I definitely love where I come from and I owe a lot to it and that's um, really shaped me. But I think everyone continues their story of growth. And I think a lot of those stories, certainly a lot from my friends, even sitting in this room, involves a lot of like, you you, uh, you know, you leave home, you go to college, you, you, you turn on the questions at a certain point. And uh, definitely in my 20s, in this second decade of, of being a Christian, I have questions. Um, I, you know, was lucky to be a part of a really uh, kind of intense and passionate group of friends. And man, we were going to uncover the secrets and mysteries of existence. We were like hanging out with guitars, singing songs, commentaries and study Bibles. And we were doing street evangelism because we thought it was cool. I guess we'd like go to the beach and sing some songs and like, argue with people about, oh, I mean, a lot of cringy behavior, if I'm honest, but there were also a lot of parts of that season of life that I really treasure. Uh, some of those friends are, are lifelong friends still to today and um, have also gone through some interesting growth since their 20s. Um, and, you know, while a lot of the, uh, I mean, I'm not so much into street evangelism these days, but I definitely enjoy the study aspect the kind of, let's take it apart, like, let's really examine, like, instead of just sit, sitting and hearing who Jesus is from someone preaching to me, like, let's discover for ourselves, like, what are all the other commentaries saying? What are the other scholars saying? So, you know, now I have questions. I have questions about this passage. Like, who are these children in the marketplace? What image is that? Like, how is that being received? What is this about the dancing? What is this about mourning? That reference to wisdom, that sounds pretty familiar. What, what is that from? And uh, generally, what are the expectations of the Messiah in first century Jewish culture? Like, just the, the easy light stuff. 
we're not going to go into all of that, but we're going to skim through. I definitely kind of felt it was necessary to put in my homework. Um, but I'm not a Bible scholar. Like, I'm not, we're not talking in like, let's go to the original Greek and do my own translation. That's, that's legit, but it sounds like a lot of work and I do have a job and a kid. So, um, I do have access to the internet. And so I looked up this, there's this table out there of all of these prophecies. Like one of the jobs of the gospel of Matthew is to tell the story of Jesus. And we're definitely not going to do all of that today. Like, but to connect Jesus to all the stories of prophecy from what would have been a staple of the literature of the culture of the day, their holy scriptures, our old Testament. And there's over two dozen in that table. Um, references to prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. So that's a really interesting part of the story. It turns out the the, the wisdom quote is kind of one of those. It references back to Proverbs 8. Um, I mean, there's actually a couple of chapters in Proverbs that reference that. And there's scholarly thinking about wisdom representing Jesus and being this prophecy of Jesus to come. And it's interesting that we see in this passage, like wisdom is known by her deeds as this contrast of, you call me all of these things, you label me all these things. Um, but maybe look at what I do instead of what you think that I do. I, of course, love the section where Jesus is dunked on as like this friend of tax collectors and sinners. I definitely feel like that's the most relatable part of Jesus. I'm friends with a lot of sinners, so um, that's great. But like there's other stories. I mean, this is Jesus describing, you say these things about me and he doesn't exactly deny it. Like we have earlier in Matthew 9, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, Luke 15 mentions tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus. Uh, and the Pharisees are predictably very grumbly about it. Uh, Luke 19 tells the story of Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector, and Jesus decides to hang out with him and that ruffles some feathers. So, um, interesting in this question I'm asking of the scripture, like who is Jesus? We have I'm mean, kind of one of the clearest labels of him right in the middle there. Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. A lot of the rest of the language is parable and, um, you know, y'all are saying this, but that's a clear like Jesus is statement in there. And I thought that was kind of an interesting, as I'm going through my second read through of the scriptures, like, yeah, Jesus is a friend, a friend of the people on the moral fringes of the sort of dominant and accepted culture that they are part of. Like maybe Jesus is a friend of people that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, that's a fun one. I'm kind of curious who those modern tax collectors and sinners would be today. And uh, I guess it kind of depends on who you ask, but here in 2023, maybe that's venture capitalists and drag queens. I mean, it's the VCs that make me uncomfortable, but we'll um, leave all that for another sermon, I think, because we've got more study to do and there's just I don't know. There's so many interesting things you can do when you take apart, put it back together, look at other people's commentaries. Um, I had another great uh, quote in the section from someone whose name I left out of my notes. Yes, Douglas, R.A. Hare. Yeah, this one was um, like thinking that, you know, maybe the dancing in the morning is a story about gender roles. Like, that's kind of fun. Like, the, the dancing is this traditional um, wedding, um, like the men would dance in these wedding processions. And the mourning was this kind of ritualized mourning through a, a funeral procession. And something about the kids in the marketplace kind of complaining to each other that like, 
uh, and the, granted they're complaining to each other, not to Jesus necessarily, but like, hey, we're inviting you to, to like, let's play wedding or let's play funeral. And like the fact that Jesus would use in his parable something so rooted in gender roles and structures, um, I don't know, I find to be interesting also, but probably a whole nother sermon involved in that. So, like I said, though, I'm not a Bible scholar, and uh, I think there could be a lot of content, but I'm going through my three read-throughs, and I think it's time to maybe integrate a little bit. Like, I think it's been interesting to label who Jesus has been proclaimed to me as, and to see and do some research on who others say Jesus is and what they have to say about all the little details in this scripture. Um, but I kind of want to go through one more time and just like simplify a little bit. Kind of sit with it. Maybe ask that question, is Jesus actually being snarky? Am I just projecting too much? Am I being a little too flippant? Am I putting a little too, weight, too much weight on other people's, I don't know, PhD theses or comment, commentaries or whatever? And like maybe I just sit with this for a minute and see kind of what it evokes in me. So I'm going to read through again. Jesus said to the crowd, to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. Where John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the lives, from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And I kind of wonder again, like, what if Jesus isn't being snarky here? What if he's being sincere, earnest? Like, he ends this saying, I thank you, Father. Like, where's the, what is he thanking for? Like, what is this earnest thankfulness directed towards? I thank you, Father, because you have revealed these things to infants, the children, the children in the marketplace. And there's something really interesting about this image. I don't know how this image would have landed for a first century Jewish culture or the early readers of these scriptures, but uh, I know how it lands for me. I'm not a Bible scholar, but I'm a dad. Been a dad for about two years now. Very much enjoying the job. And I have an adorable kid. He's the one with the hair. Um, and I love watching this kid play, watching him play with his cousins, with the kiddos in greenhouse, with my friend's kids. And when I think of kids playing in the marketplace, I have a very clear image in my head, and it looks a lot like Bluey. And if you actually don't have kids in your life, uh, you can borrow mine. You can borrow anyone's by volunteering in Greenhouse, but uh, you can also watch Bluey and get a lot of the sense of just the joy and the innocence and the earnestness of kids playing together. 
I mean, this is this is actually from an episode which is very literally at like a farmer's market. And, uh, you know, they're going around to all the stalls and the vendors and they're inviting each other into this play and they're trying to find a style of play that's going to work for everybody. And, um, you know, disappointments are had. But in the end, you know, we're all jamming together and dancing and there's a, a busker doing his thing in, in, in the park next to the markets. And it's just, a, it's fun. And... Uh, also, if you haven't watched Bluey as an adult, bring a box of tissues. I cry like every third episode. So, so I don't know. I kind of, I, I, th I sit with that. Like this generation is like children in a marketplace. That's really interesting to me. I actually have a really like fond association with this image. But where do we go? Like, what are they doing? They're, they're calling to each other. They're inviting each other into play. They're, and they're also, you know, we know the dancing is this let's play wedding. The, the morning is this let's play funeral. Like they're playing at being little grownups, like participating in society. And they're doing a lot of kind of pretend, which again, parent pro tip, it's a great way to get some free labor out of your kids. Like let's play sweeping. It's great. So... It's, it definitely hits a little different because what then happens next, the kids are saying, we invited you and you weren't there. We had an expectation and you didn't meet it. What is that about? This is Jesus's parable, remember? Like this generation expected a Messiah and they didn't get that. And you know what? I'm not really hearing snark anymore. I'm like, I'm hearing something that kind of breaks my heart. And it kind of breaks my heart with compassion. And I don't think Jesus is calling out a generation for capriciousness anymore. I think Jesus is calling out his compassion for us inviting into a need, for labeling our confusion. I think this is what Jesus is saying that he is thankful for. Because I think you see this transparency from kids. Like, I have this need. Like, they don't hide that. I have this confusion. Like, it is right there. And honestly, especially as my kid gets a little older and the cuddles get a little bit more rare, that's an opportunity for some great cuddles, let me tell you. Like, come here. Let me give you a hug. And let's be real. Like, the thing you really need is a snack and a nap and some cuddles. And I've got you. Like, so... This has been a fun tour through uh, <laughs> through kind of this passage. I mean, I'm not a scholar. I'm just a guy given a homily, like sharing some reflections that I have on some scripture. And I think as I kind of reflect on this question of who is Jesus, like I see a Jesus who is thankful. I mean, thankful for the things that we go through, thankful for when we sit down and actually take that moment and that courageous step to be transparent and vulnerable, to label our confusions, to label our needs. One of my favorite values of the community here at Vox is our value of mystery. Like, I think for me, that's a lot of what is happening here is being willing to get out there and play and invite and to label your, your pain and to sit with that confusion for a little bit and to not expect such a clear uh, definition of who Jesus is. So, 
I think there's a Jesus there that just wants to meet us where we're at. And I'm really grateful for that. So with that, I'll close in a little bit of prayer. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. I thank you, Lord, that kids see you in a way that we sometimes have difficulty. And may we learn to see you the way that they do. Amen.